Uh, I know it's Christmas time. Everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's looking into it. Everybody wants a time out from uh, the chaos of uh, whatever's going on in life. Everybody wants the world to stop and let me get off of it and all of that. So I just figured the next couple weeks we could do something a little, uh, rather not light or anything, because I never do any. I did that one time. I said to some folks when we were meeting on baseline, I said, oh, this summer we're going to have a kind of an easy study. I got done. Everybody, that wasn't easy. So I quit saying we're going to do a light study because I don't do anything light. But uh, I, I, it's interesting when you come to this time of the year and everybody's got some Matthew chapter 1, if you're not there, if I didn't say that. And uh, I, I just wanted to spend a couple of weeks looking at the, th- this passage and thinking about the, the, the uh, well, the Christmas season, if you will. We all know that Christ was not born December 25th. Uh, I think one of our top videos on our YouTube is the issue of how to date the birth of Christ. And you use Luke 1, and you use the, the timing there of uh, Zacharias and uh, John the Baptist's dad and so forth. And John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ were cousins. And John the Baptist was six months ahead of the Lord. So you can work all that and you work it down. The thing, though, that happened with the Lord that was really the miracle of Christmas was the conception was at this time of the year, late December. And because of that issue of the conception and so forth, you know, that's religion doesn't want to celebrate that. They want to celebrate a normal birth, a normal thing, and yet really the miracle was the conception. But in that, you come to Matthew 1, and verse number 1, he says, The book of the generation of son of, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. By the way, that verse tells you the outline of the book of Matthew. The first 20, 20 23, 24 chapters of Genesis, of, of, Genesis, of Matthew tells you that uh, he's the son of David. He's the king. Then you get into the last chapters, 23, 24, right in there, about Calvary, and you find out that he's the son of Abraham and and, in that sacrifice. So you've got it right there. And then the genealogy begins. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharaoh and Zaar of Thamar. And Pharaoh begat Ezra, and Ezra begat Aram, and Aram begat that guy, that guy begat that guy, and so, verse 5, and Solomon begat Boaz of, of Rake, that's Rechab, that's Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that was the wife of, of Urias, who's that? Bathsheba, okay. And Solomon begat Ro, and off you go, and then you come all the way down to verse 17, verse 16, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So you, in the Lord's genealogy, there are five women. Four women are mentioned here in, in the first six verses, and then Mary's mentioned in verse 17. And as a, as a good Jew that would have read this chapter and read this genealogy, they would have considered it odd for women to be in the genealogy. And they would have thought about it going, wait a second, why is that? And they would have begun to ask the question of why do women show up in the, in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Messiah, of, of, uh, of, of the Savior, the Redeemer. 
And that's really a great question. Why are these women listed? And, uh, and it's a fascinating study as you begin to look at them. This morning, this is part one. We're just going to go till noon and then be done. And then we'll finish up next week, hopefully finish up next week with Mary. Okay? Because Mary is a very fascinating young lady and, uh, and, and really is worthy of not just one study, but several in, in, with her. But here you have, you have Tamar, you have Rahab, you have Ruth, and you have Bathsheba. And what you have, and I'm going to write these up here on the board. Well, maybe not. I, I won't do that. We'll just leave the board pretty. But you have these four women, and then Mary again mentioned down in verse 17. You have Tamar. Tamar here in, in verse 2 is going to be a picture uh, of, of uh, God forgiving the sinner. And you have a picture of wickedness. You have a picture of a fallen Jew. You have, a, you have this negative picture in her history. Rahab. Rahab was a Gentile. We, Rahab is called Rahab the harlot. If you think about as we go, we're going to go back and look. And, and she's, she's a Gentile. Now, that is really different. Why is a Gentile in the Lord, who's a Jew, his genealogy? How did she get in there? Then you have Ruth. Guess what Ruth was? A Gentile. But she was not just any Gentile. She was a Moabitess. And we're going to go back and look in Deuteronomy, where the Moabitess was never to have a position in the land of Israel. And yet Ruth is going to be a great, a great lady. Then you have Bathsheba. She's a Jew, but she represents David's great sin, not only of adultery and fornication, but of, of murder. And there they are, and there they sit. So as we go down through these, their presence, if you'll remember this, their presence here demonstrate that Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's what's going to happen here. Because Israel, by the way, you have to remember Matthew here, and historically Israel had forgotten that they were to be the channel of blessings to the whole world. They had forgotten that. They thought it was all about them. Abrahamic covenant, if you go back and read Genesis 12, he says, I'm going to make you a blessing to all of the families of the, of the earth. And you're going to be the channel of blessings. Come back with me to Genesis 38. Let's, let's look at Tamar. And uh, just, we're just going to spend a little time looking at each of these ladies. Genesis 38. And just kind of give you a, a little overview. A great doctrine going on here. <clears throat> Genesis 38 verse 1. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain uh, Adolamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her, and she conceived and bare a son, and he called <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and called his name Er 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 Er. <laughs> uh oh, that was an error. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> er. Okay. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Selah. And he was a Chezebim when she bare him. And Judah took a wife from, for heir, 
and his firstborn, who was name, whose name was Tamar. There she is. She's going to be the daughter-in-law. Okay? Tamar. Now, keep reading. And ere Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Uh-oh. And Judah said unto Onan, Go unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife. Who's his brother's wife? Tamar. Okay. okay. The genealogy trees are interesting. You've got to watch them, okay? All right. Went in and came and went in unto his brother's wife. And uh, he didn't, uh, he spilled it on the ground lest he should give seed to his brother. So he didn't do his job, okay? And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. The Lord's not happy with this family, are they? He's killing them, you know? Uh, then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house. And so she does, verse 12, and in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was confronted and went up into his sheep shears, and, and he goes up there and he does all that. And verse 13, and he was told, Tamar saith, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up, and she put her widow's garment off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open uh, place, which is, by the way, there. And she goes in, verse 15, and when Judah saw her, he, he thought her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, go, on, go to, I pray thee, let me come into thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. Interesting. Tamar is going to, Judah, father-in-law, well, look at what Tamar is doing. Seducing him. Covers up. Seduction. Okay. Drop down to verse 24, just for time. And it came to pass, when three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth and let her be burnt. Whoa. By the way, she's, she's going to come up. Verse 25. And when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man... Whose these are, am I child? By the way, who's these? she's going to have twins. That's the two boys listed, Pharaoh and Zerah. By the man child, by the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet and the bracelets and the staff? And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Selah my son, and he knew her again no more. Had she not sinned, she wouldn't have been the mom of the two boys listed in the Lord's genealogy in Matthew 1. Without her sin, without her going in and playing the harlot, she would have not gotten into the lineage. So what does God have to do with her? He has to do what? Forgive her. There's got to be a working out of it. There's got to be a thing. You know what? Judah, Judah didn't obey the rules. Judah had three boys. And amongst the three boys, and he didn't give her to the second boy. That's Sheila. He didn't play by the rules. He goes and does. She's like, everybody frowns on her. But yet, if she hadn't have done it, she wouldn't have been in the lineage. And what is, go, go, come over with me to Luke 15. What Israel is going to, what the Lord's doing with 
the listing of her there is Israel needed to learn this. What did Israel need to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ? What did he do? He came to save his people from their sins. Luke 15, look at verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes say, murmured, saying, This man receiveth, what? Sinners, and eateth with them. He's, the, he's called the friend of sinners. You see, what Israel needed to understand and to remember, now go back to Genesis 38 just real quick. What, G, what they needed to remember and they needed to understand and why Tamar sits there is a reminder in the genealogy that Christ came to be, the Messiah will come to be a friend of sinners. And Israel, you're sinners. And you need a friend. Paul in 1 Timothy 1, what does he say? Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Save sinners of whom I am chief. He, that's the whole of it here. With Tamar, you see a reminder as they were look at that genealogy. He could have barely just said the two boys and left out Tamar's name, but he doesn't. The scripture records it specifically because Israel needed to be reminded that the Messiah came to save the sinner and that they're the sinner. Genesis 38, if you look real quick at verse 28, and it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand and the midwife took the bond, uh, uh, took, I'm sorry, took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying, this came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that before, that, behold, his brother came out, and she said, hast thou, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee, therefore his name was called Pharez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. And there the two boys are. But notice, by the way, great typology here. Who's, what is Abraham's chosen? Then he's got Ishmael and Isaac, right? Who's the seed line? Isaac. Who came out second? Here, who came out second? The first little boy sticks his arm out there, and she puts that scarlet thread on it. You know the scarlet thread in Scripture runs down, starts with the blood of righteous Abel, and it runs all the way down. And you know who it sits on? The wrist of the second born. Isaac, second born. Jacob has Esau and um, no, I just well, you you gotta be kidding me. Jacob. Esau and Jacob, thank you. Doggun it. You're not talking about momentum killer, you know. <laughs> Jacob. Jacob is what? Second born. The seed runs through the, the scarlet thread, runs through the scripture. It's the line of the Redeemer. You think about, eight, you come, come, come back to, 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 to Matthew 5, Matthew 1. You think about where of the first Adam is what? Earthy. What is the second Adam? Heavenly, spiritual, heavenly. Isn't that it? The second. 
that scarlet thread. And you know what? You see the picture in Genesis 38, that identifying. Neat little things like that run through. So you got Tamar. Who is she? She's a, she's a Jew. She's sinning. And it's, she's in the genealogy to demonstrate to Israel that their Messiah came. Well, he says it there in Matthew 1, doesn't he? Matthew 1, 21, for he shall save his people from their sins. She demonstrates that, that God has come and will forgive the fallen sinner. Matthew 1, now verse 5, you have Rahab. Verse 5, and Solomon begat Boaz, uh, Booz, not Boaz, but Booz of Rechab, Rahab. Come over to Hebrews. Rahab's a wonderful lady. She gets a bad rap. She was a harlot. Come over to Hebrews 11. But she, she was a wonderful lady when you get in and study her out in Joshua, which, by the way, we're going, so hang tight. Hebrews 11. I want you to notice something in verse 31. She gets her own verse in the hall of faith. In the hall, in the great witness, the great cloud of witnesses of faith in the Old Testament. She gets her own verse. She doesn't share her verse. Like in verse 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and then Samson. And you see, the, those guys all get listed. Rahab gets her own verse, verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. When she had received the spies with what? With peace. By faith she operated. Come back to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Joshua chapter 2. And what Rahab is going to do now is she's that Gentile lady, the first Gentile lady in the, in the, in the genealogy. She shows up, and there's going to be that picture and that issue there of God accepting the believer. Tamar, God forgives the sinner. Now you're going to have in, in Rahab God accepting the believer because what was she? She is a believer. Joshua chapter 2, if you drop down verse, uh, well, verse 1, and Joshua the son of Nun, boy, what, how'd you like that? Who's your mom and dad? Nun. Who are you? you know, <laughs> now, yeah, exactly. You know, he's the son of Nun. Sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. They come and they're going to talk to her. Verse 9. And she said unto the men, by the way, sorry, real quick, verse 6. And she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. Evidently, she's no longer a harlot. She's a businesswoman. She's a seller of flax. Just also, by the way, you go to Proverbs 31, and selling flax is one of the attributes of a virtuous woman. So just because she carries a title doesn't necessarily, don't judge the book by its cover, okay? <laughs> Verse 9, And she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what he, ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Shion and Og, and whom ye utterly destroyed. And soon, and as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, now watch, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my brethren, my mother, and my brother, I'm sorry, my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life be for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be. When the Lord hath given us the land, that ye, he, we will deal kindly and truly with thee. What does she just do there? She says, We heard, we heard about Exodus 15. We heard about that stuff with Moses. And you know what we know? We know Genesis 12. We know the Abrahamic covenant that if I bless you, you got to bless me. So swear an oath. I'm holding your feet to the fire, boys. Here it is. Now look at verse 18. Behold, when we come into this land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread. There it is again. What is she to bind that scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by? And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. She comes in and what is she, what is she demonstrating? She's demonstrating faith. I know who you guys are. I know who you belong to. <laughs> and you know what? We heard about you guys and you know, we know what you're going to do to this city and I'm looking for a token and an agreement of the Abrahamic covenant that I know you know about. And they said, you know what? You hang that scarlet thread out that window. And you're saved. You're covered under the blood. You're right there. We're taking care of you. It's interesting in verse 18 that when they make the agreement... They say, when you bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home, anybody under your roof will be covered by that scarlet blood, that thread. She had asked them back up in verse 13 about mom, bro father, mother, brother, sisters. Come over to chapter 6. Come on over to chapter 6. Chapter 6 they go up to Jericho. Joshua and the guys go up to Jericho and they lay it waste. All right, chapter 6 and verse 23. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her mother and her father, I'm sorry, her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought all, out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. You know who's not listed there? Sisters. Could you imagine that family text group? Hey, guess what, guys? Trouble's coming. The God of Israel's coming. He's going to sack the city. But I made a deal. You just have to be in my house on 
December 13th. That's today's date. And you know, everybody replies, yes, we'll be there, we'll be there, we'll, except for the sisters. And you know what they're saying? I ain't going over to that house. She's a harlot. Who knows whatever's happened under the roof of that house? I ain't going to see my sister. Family squabble. So when the guys showed up and they destroyed the city, who's not included in the protection? Those of no faith. It would take faith for a family to go over to a house of, a repu of Ill rep irrepute, if you will. Faith, it takes faith. And, and just as Tamar shows that God has forgiven the sinner, Rahab is demonstrating that God has accepted the believer. And in the genealogy, come back there to Matthew 1, what Israel has to understand is not only... It, what, in Christ, in Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, you know what we have? We have our Redeemer, and we have our Savior, and we have our forgiveness in Him. That's what Israel's learning, or they should have learned, <laughs> okay? Because that's who He is, isn't He? He says, hey, look, we got, here's verse 3, and, and Judas begat Phaez and Zerah of Tamar. Here we got two boys that were conceived out of a sinful situation. And yet, there they are. God forgave them. And then you've got Boaz of Rahab because God took care of the who? The believer. Tremendous lesson here. Tremendous teaching here. She was a woman of faith, by the way. I, I just I think back there in Hebrews. Uh, um, come back with me to James chapter 2. I, she, I, sometimes you know how you get kind of fixated on something and you go, wow, I, the women in the Bible are fantastic studies. James 2, verse 25, where James is dealing with Abraham and Israel and, 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 and justification and back and forth. Notice verse 25. Likewise also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. See how she's mentioned right in the breath with Abraham? Now, she was justified unto eternal life when she believed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what did that program require back there? Her to do something, which is if I bless them, then he's going to bless me. I want a token. And they say, here's a little scarlet. I should have had a scarlet thread today. Here's a scarlet thread. Hang it out the window. Now go back to Matthew 1, because right after that, you got Boaz begets Obed of Ruth. And Obed begets Jesse, and Jesse has David, and David's the great king. So you have Ruth. And with Ruth, you begin to see... God teaching Israel that what he's going to do is he's going to deliver them from the law. Because with Ruth, who was she? She is a Moabitess. She has no right, no claim. And yet, what does she go and do? The very thing that Naomi asked her to do. She put herself right where she's supposed to be. Come back to Ruth 1. We've studied Ruth in the past. We went through the whole path. You, you, you see Naomi 
And she's a type of Israel. You see Boaz, the type of Christ as the kinsman redeemer. And then you see Ruth, that Gentile that clings to Israel to get the blessing. And what you see again there is God coming along and uh, showing, I'm going to deliver you from the law. Ruth 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Ruth is written during the, the book of Judges. Because who's ruling? The judges. So in the midst of all this stuff going on with the judges, little Ruth here, she pops up. And she's going to go now. And, and by the way, just read verse 1, that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. He should have never left Bethlehem, Judah. But he does. And he goes to Moab. And they run his two boys. Uh, he's got a wife there, Naomi. And his two sons are listed there in verse 2. Verse 3, they take... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 4, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. That was the mistake. They weren't supposed to do that. They were not supposed to marry outside of the land. They were not supposed to be married and mixing out there. Yet these two boys do. And as the story goes, Naomi's husband, he's killed. Her two boys are killed. And it ends up coming down, if you come down here to verse 16, that Naomi looks over to her two daughter-in-laws and says, you're free to go. Verse 9, the Lord grant you, verse 8, and Naomi said unto her, two daughter-in-laws, go, return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you and, ye, and uh, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept and they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If, if I would say I have hope, if, if I should have a husband also tonight and, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having for them for, uh, from having husbands. Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And when they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth did what? Clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Now watch the testimony here. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou uh, uh, lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die and the time and there will I be buried and the Lord do so to me and more also if aught put the death apart, uh, part thee and me. Look at that testimony. Ruth stands up and says, I ain't going back there. Ain't nothing back there. Your God is my God. Your people are my. I am putting myself under your control. What a great testimony there. Verse 22, here's the problem. So Naomi returned. Naomi's going to go home. And Ruth, the what? 
the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Come over real quick, Deuteronomy 23. You know what the problem was? She was a Moabitess. Deuteronomy 23 and verse number 3. Here's the law. Here's the rule. Deuteronomy 23, 3. An Amorite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord. How long? Forever. You know what Ruth's problem was? The law prohibited her to go in to the land, to enter into the congregation of Israel. God's law says no. Naomi says, go home. The one daughter-in-law says, you don't have to tell me twice. I'm home and gone. Naomi says, no, 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 no. I'm, you're mine and I'm yours. Your God's my God. I'm right here. And you know what they do? They go back to Bethlehem. But what's the problem? What does the law say? The law says, no, you're not allowed. It condemns. Go back to Ruth. It condemns Ruth. But now think about that. Ruth Is Ruth a good guy, a good girl? Yeah, man, she's right where she's supposed to be, right? But what does the law do? It condemns the best of us, doesn't it? The grace of God saves the worst of us. The law says no way, but yet, guess what? She just showed up in the genealogy of the Messiah as the mom to Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer. And that's really what the rest of Ruth is going to do, is it's going to begin to show, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said unto Naomi, Let me now go. And off she goes. By the way, you're going to see her title, Ruth, the, Boa, the Moabite, all through Ruth until she hooks in with Boaz. And then she becomes Ruth. And Boaz is that kinsman redeemer. And you begin to have the law of the kinsman redeemer illustrated and brought forth out of, out of Leviticus and, and put on display in Israel's history. Because what do they need? They need a kinsman redeemer. And that kinsman redeemer, first of all, has to be kin. Second of all, they got to be able. And third, willing to do and to, and to come and, and not be compromised. They've got to come and be able to redeem the people and to pay attention to what needs to be done. And you know what happens? The Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? He's 100% man, isn't he? Yeah. And he's 100% God, but as man, he becomes our kinsman redeemer, and he's able, willing, nothing gets marred in his inheritance. By the way, in Ruth, there's another guy shows up that's a little nearer. The problem is, is he, ain't, he looked over there at Ruth, and you know what he saw? Moabitus. And quickly claimed, hey, if I do this, it's going to hurt my inheritance, so I can't do this. So Boaz, if you've got it, if you're okay with this, go right ahead. You're the man. <laughs> you know. And Boaz says, oh, yes, she's mine. She goes over and lays her skirt out and does all that, rituals and so forth. And Boaz is like, where have you been all my life, honey? Come here. You're mine. And Boaz and Ruth go in, and they have the father of David, Obed, and Jesse. And they begin to have 
that component there because Ru Ruth goes in and Ruth shows and it's demonstrated in Israel's history to show and to demonstrate that you know what God ultimately is going to do for Israel? Deliver them from that law that says no. You can't do. You go and look. John chapter 1. Look over there. John 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the, his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, you know what? He's our kinsman redeemer. He is of the seed of Abraham. He's it. There he is. Paul in 1 Timothy 2 looks over there and says he's the mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the, he, there he is. He, Paul over there, he'll say, remember that Christ was raised according to my gospel. The seed of David was raised, Romans 8, over there to Timothy. Come back to Matthew 1. So with Ruth... So you got Tamar, what's God do? Forgives the sinner, right? Thank you. We're almost done. Relax. It's almost. <laughs> then you, you look over at Rahab, and God is accepting her faith, accepting the believer. Then with Ruth, you see him delivering Israel from the law. And the fourth lady is in verse 6, and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Uriah, and there's Bathsheba. Now, her name doesn't show up, but, but the information leads you to know who we're talking about. And Bathsheba is going to... She's going to demonstrate, you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And you begin to see some things here with the picture of, of uh, by the way, in Ruth there is a scarlet thread. We didn't look at it. And that's because of that kinsman redeemer issue. Okay, With Bathsheba... 2 Samuel 11, you've got verse 1, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent the end of the verse, but David tarried still. At, where should David had been? He should have been on the battlefield, but he didn't. He stayed home. And he stays home, and he's, by the way, why would a king stay home from the battlefield? Lazy. He's living in the luxury. Well, I don't go sleep on the ground. I can sleep in the feather bed. <laughs> I'll stay home. He's pulling a little self and selfishness here. And he looks out and he sees Bathsheba. You, you can read the account all the way down through. He goes, says, hey, who's that over there? <laughs> and they tell him and she comes and they're, they're together. He's told that she has a husband on the battlefield. He calls the husband home. Says, why don't you go home, have a little R&R, &R, 
The husband doesn't. He stays on the steps of the of the of the throne of the of the castle there, the city. Because why in the world? See, he's a warrior. Why in the world would I go home and have R and R with my with my wife when my guys are out there getting killed? So he goes out. He doesn't. He doesn't stay. He doesn't do what David hoped he would do. So then David says, "Okay, you go stick him on the front line, and then you guys withdraw, so he'll die." And ultimately, down in verse seventeen. And Uriah the Hittite died also. He killed her husband. Not only did he commit adultery, then he goes over and commits murder. I'll be honest with you. Your Bible never covers up the sins of its heroes. It never does. It puts them out there in the front so you can see it. David's one of our heroes. And here's the mess. Now, she's going to have a boy. If you look at her chapter 12, verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said, There were two men in one city. And Nathan goes to David and begins to scrawl out for David what, what you messed up, Bubba. You sinned. And your sin is so great, what did the law say? Both of those counts that David's charged with, death is the result. But David, you're the guy that, you're after the Lord. David did something, look there at verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, that man hath done this thing, he should surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. You know why David says you got to restore it fourfold? That's what the law required. David knew the law. Nathan said to David, thou art the man. You're the one that messed up. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of out of the hand of Saul, and greatly the, the master. And on down, verse 11, And thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before. And there's, there is consequences to this. Verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have ascended against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Whoa. What are you talking about? David should have what? He should have died. But what did God just do? Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will not impute sin. Romans 4. He comes along and you know what he says? You know what David did? He recognized his, his fault. He recognized his sin. And says, you know what? I send. Come over to Psalms 32. Psalms 32. Psalms 32. Psalms 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's a psalm of David. Come over to chapter 51. Chapter 51. Psalms 51. Verse 1, now 
if you have the titles above Psalms, underneath the Psalms 51, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. That's 2 Samuel 11, 2 Samuel 12. So you want to see what David was thinking about when Nathan tells him that God has forgiven you? Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be cleared when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thy Desirous truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast not away thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit before me, from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, though God, uh, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offerings, Look at what he's saying there. There's the heart of the believer. Look at that. By the way, look there at verse 16 carefully. What did, when Nathan talks, when God talks to Nathan and Nathan talks to David, what was God wanting from David? No sacrificing. He didn't want no stinking sacrifice. What did he want? He wanted David's heart. And that's what you have. With David. David sits there. He didn't go over there and do the burnt offerings, which is what is required by the law. He went there by the word of God, and you know what he says? The sure mercies of David. That's what you're reading, Psalms 51. He says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Man, clean, you gotta clean me up, God. Jehovah. I can't do this myself. I've messed up. I acknowledge my transgression. I sit there, and you know what he comes? He comes with that heart of a believer. And in David and Bathsheba, you see the sin in the life of the believer. And then you see the security of the believer as the believer rests in the kinsman redeemer. You go to Psalms 89 and you see the sure mercies and you see him doil all that out. Come back to Matthew 1. So in the Lord's genealogy, we got four women. It's time to quit. We'll get married next week. So right as I planned. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. It is rare. Four women to wake Israel up that here in their presence now is going to be the born, their Messiah. 
And the use of Tamar was to teach Israel that God is going to forgive that sinner. And that's what he's here for. Then in Rahab, God's going to accept the believer. And it's going to be faith and faith alone. That's the issue. With Ruth, God's going to ultimately deliver Israel from that law that says no. With Bathsheba, that believer is going to understand that what security they have when they mess up. Now we're going to get Mary next time. Down in verse 16. And what Mary comes in and shows in a great fashion when we'll see it next time is that Mary is going to demonstrate God using a willing vessel to his glory. A willing maid servant. A willing servant. And you're going to see it in Mary. And one of the reasons why Mary gets promoted so is because of that willingness to be the vessel. And we'll do that next time, okay? These ladies are not there just to take up room. They're there because they're directing and they're pushing Israel to understand that who's going to be born in that little town of Bethlehem late September when the shepherds are out tending the flock and all that stuff's going on right on time, Galatians 4 over there, is the Messiah. And they ought to be paying attention. And instead they're not. When those wise men come in and they say, hey, we're here to worship the king of the Jews, whew, that rubbed the cat's fur the wrong way and trouble happened. And yet sitting right here with these five ladies, four here today, sits their Redeemer, pointing, here he is, here he is, here he is. Paul picks up on that. He says that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Blessed is the man into whom the Lord will not impute trespasses, sin. Trust him and guess what will happen? All's forgiven. And then as a believer, because you are forgiven, when you mess up, what do you recognize? That's what hung him at Calvary, and i got to fix it. He didn't do it. I did it. He's the one that's got to fix it. Follow that? All right. Five ladies, wonderful women. We'll get number four, number five next time, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ladies here, the picture that's being drawn that scarlet thread that runs down through, through them. All for your honor and all for your glory because you are the Redeemer, the Savior. For Israel, you will be their avenger and their deliverer, and their king, their blesser. And for us today in the church, the body of Christ, you are our blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And we just give you the honor and the glory for that. And may that be what consumes our thinking. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to.